welcome to The Founder Factor, where we dig into the strategies, ideas, and mindsets of some of South Carolina's most impactful entrepreneurs. So today on the show, we're sitting down with Kinsey Biggins, who is the CEO and founder and visionary at Worksby. So I figured we could just start off by hearing a bit more about your about your company. Tell us what you do and what the what the company's all about. Perfect. So thank you for having me, yeah, first of all. For being here. And we are in this really inflection point where we are evolving. So we started off as a virtual executive assistant service, and Worksby is currently evolving into an administrative solution service. Mm. So offering service not just for virtual executive assistants, but also virtual assistants in the future, virtual senior executive assistants. Going into the healthcare space with HIPAA certified administrative professionals and even certifications now where we'll be able to certify exactly what skill set your administrative professional has. Gotcha. Okay, interesting. So so what types of companies are you working with then? You're kind of like a matchmaker between executive assistants and companies? That's exactly who we are. So I tell people all the time, especially your executive assistant is your closest relationship to your significant other. Mm -hmm. They know everything everything about you. So yes, we play matchmaker in the center. We bring science into it, but we also are very human centric and looking at how that relationship is going to work long-term. Okay. I see. And then what services do you offer on the, just so I fully understand on on the executive assistant side, like, are you training them or are you taking people that are already executive assistants and just matching them? We're kind of doing the full thing. So when you think about the virtual service side, we're pairing based on how many hours a customer needs and support. Uh-huh. And then on the EA side, we're offering them community. We're offering training, you know, offering the certifications. So everything that they need to really be high functioning right. in their role. I see. Okay. I bet COVID was pretty big for your business. It was. I mean, so like everybody, I mean, cause everybody looks like, Oh, COVID must yeah. have just been Yay, like we loved this it. wonderful <laughs> thing. And I'm like, you know, COVID had its hidden blessings. Yeah. But the beginning was tough because for a lot of our customers, it was, how are they going to stay in business? So a lot of our model shifted to how do we help our customers run virtual businesses? Right. We've been virtual, 100% virtual since 2017. Okay. No, 2015. I'm like, that didn't sound right. (laughs) Since 2015. So way before it became popular. Got it. And we knew what needed to happen in order for someone to run a remote business, virtual business. So it became an education for, hey, EAs, how do we help all of our clients? How do we help them stay in business? How do we help them continue to not only maintain the revenue, but hopefully increase their revenue because they know how to make this transition that other people were kind of muddling through. Mm. Um, but like everybody, the beginning was rough. A lot of days sitting in the corner of my office, staring at that corner, <laughs> wondering <laughs> what was going to happen, calling about that dang on PPP loan, which is like a trigger word for me to this day. I believe it. Yeah. And then towards like Q3, we turned a corner and all of a sudden people were like, oh, wait. You know, maybe I've worked with you in the past or a friend told me and I actually need this level of support, but I just don't need this level of support. I need someone who actually knows how to do it virtually. Mm, Okay. Yeah. What a cool story. So, so how did you get started with this? Like, what was your, your journey to founding this company? It's not a clear journey. It's not like, yeah, yeah. It's not like, oh, I, I was an EA and I've always been EA. I've actually never been in EA. Um, My parents had executive assistants growing up. I had a position before where I worked in retail where I had an EA. So interacted with EAs on that level, but mm-hmm. it wasn't from having the experience or it being a passion job of mine. It was really out of necessity and wanting to celebrate really people who have a skill set, a unique skill set that's not a celebrated skill set. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take all the pieces and kind of 
put them together. So <laughs> went to Savannah College of Art and Design for grad school, did my master's in luxury and fashion management, wrote my graduate thesis on improving the American economy through the production of luxury goods. Cool. So a big nerd about (laughs) the future of work and how it comes together. Um, Fast forward right after grad school, started a social media agency. And that was 2013. No, 2011. When was it? 2011. Obviously, years are not my friend today. But (laughs) in 2011, if you did one thing on the Internet, people thought you knew everything about the Internet. So I got to this point around 2013 where all of a sudden everybody was like, do you know virtual assistants? Do you have virtual assistants? And I was like, I run a social media agency. Why would I have virtual yeah, you're, assistants? You're digital. You get virtual things. You'll just figure yeah, it out. It so kept getting the question, got the question enough where I stopped and was like, hmm, maybe I should figure this out. And was randomly in a meeting with a retiring exec from the Coca-Cola company, mm-hmm. helping her with a social media project because that's what I did. And she was like, hey, I have a meeting in 30 minutes and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And I was like, okay. What? And she was like, I retired this week. I had all this support before, but now that I'm retired, they treat me as a contractor. I don't have the support. And I had no idea how my calendar was being kept. So I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, I've been playing with this idea, but maybe the niche is executive assistance. And she was like, start it. I'll be your first client. No way. So she, she was the first client of Worksbee. Yes. At that point, was it actually Worksbee? Or did no, it just was kind of called uniquely virtual around? back okay. in the day, which... Okay. Is very hard to win on the internet. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> change I, I can understand that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But she said that in what was it? Maybe two months later, we'd bought on our first DA. She signed up for service. They started working together. They still work together today. That is such a crazy story. Yeah. How did that first project go? Like, what were your big takeaways from that? I mean, big takeaways were <laughs> or big takeaway, big challenge. Can you really do everything virtually? Mm. Right. So when you have somebody coming in and they're like, no, I write everything down in a planner or no, you know, I don't have a smartphone. I don't check email. I, you know, yeah, <laughs> those right. types of things. And it's like, oh, crap. How are we going to communicate with you? Yeah. But I learned very quickly that you can communicate with anybody no matter where they are, if they're open to it. So, like, you know, we have her take pictures of her calendar, send it to her EA. Right. Makes sense. EA yeah. puts it online. Sends her a PDF back, which is very key because she's not going to go into a calendar, send the PDF back. She can print the PDF. Everything is fine. It's just it's finding that meeting ground of how people work together. Also, all of our original clients were retired executives from major corporations. So we learned a lot about what the difference was between a true executive assistant and just an assistant. Right. Especially helping someone at that high of a level. Oh, yes. Expectations. Right. So tell me about the obstacles that you faced in those early years. I'm sure there were many. Pick pick a few. Where do you want to start? (sighs) Okay. So biggest obstacle. This is my, if I could take out a billboard tomorrow, I would put this on a billboard. We can make that happen. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay. When I follow up, like, where's my billboard? Um, Biggest obstacle. Not every company has to be a tech company in order to be successful. I wish I could like. Right. Clap on you that clap. one. Why not? <laughs> I don't know how that sounds over the mic, but yes. <laughs> I think it is one of those things, especially I started my company in Atlanta, you know, 2013, 14, 15 era. It was like, if you're not growing a tech company, you're never going to scale and you're never going to do this or that. But at the end of the day, it's like, how do you use technology to enhance your business mm-hmm. versus it just doesn't have to be about that one solo product. Right. And especially then being a black female trying to raise the money needed 
in order to grow a tech business. It just, it was not happening. I and mean, where, where were you at this time? Were you in Greenville I was in Atlanta. Atlanta? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I moved to Greenville in 2017. So you we were trying to raise money around that that area? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, it just, it was not happening yeah. at all. And it was frustrating, but, you know, then going, taking a couple steps back and being like, you know what? We don't have to be a tech company. We can be a service business. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the double standard, which I think, you know, anybody who falls into that minority bucket experiences some type of double standard at some point in time. But it was that double standard of, well, are you a tech company or are you a service business? And which one are you going to be? And I'm like, well, I'm getting that question, but I just watched you fund these other folks and they didn't get that question and they're teetering that same space. Yeah. So it's almost like it's not just the challenge of trying to raise money as a black woman, but it's also the challenge of you're being held into a box And when you're somebody who is innovative and bringing great ideas, and I've actually seen a ton of friends have these amazing ideas, but they couldn't get the funding and the great idea ends up going away. And then 10 years later, someone's like, I have this new shiny Uh, idea. And I'm like, you don't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been, it's, it's, yeah, it's been done before. Right. Someone Someone else thought better than you actually. But yeah, it's, it's that whole, it's the conflict of you're trying to grow this business. You're trying to play nice. But, you know, where is the funding coming from? Also being very realistic that whatever funding I receive may be like a fourth of what somebody else would receive who doesn't have the revenue or, you know, it's just it's an interesting space to be. So, yeah. How did you how did you deal with that? Like, how did you keep your head up with that? I mean, I'm sure that was just so frustrating. Oh, beyond frustrating. I mean, so I feel like. I was lucky that I had a free place to live in my parents' basement, right? So lived in their basement while I was in grad school. When I started the social media agency, it was like, well, I still stay in the basement and keep growing. And then when the idea of what was in Uniquely Virtual came about, it was like, do I really work on growing this company or do I live like an adult out on my own in Mm -hmm. an apartment? And I was like, okay, let's just focus on running the business. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky from that aspect because a lot of people don't have that option Mm. when they're starting a company. So being able to have that option, being able to be their personal chef so I could feed myself, um, just all those steps and finally turning that corner to say, you know what, we're just going to be a service business. How do we understand what the break even equation is to really figure out what we need to operate, which I have to say Everybody should have a break-even equation hmm. for their business. Like, it saved us during the pandemic. Can, can you walk us through what that looks like? Yes. So, actually, um, oh, what's his name? Rich Clays, who's here in Greenville. He was a part of the Minority Business Accelerator, mm-hmm. taught me the break-even analysis. And I tell him all the time, every time I see him, I'm like, you don't know what a difference you made in my life and the 50 million other people I've told about it. So, basically, you break down what are your set costs mm-hmm. that you're spending each month, but then also what are your variable costs? As far as, you know, for our EAs, there's a variable cost of every customer that we have sign up with us versus what we're paying the EAs versus what we're having to pay to process their payment. And a lot of people are only looking at those fixed costs each month. They're not taking into account that variable cost, Mm -hmm. which can throw everything way off. Like a dollar can make a hundred dollar difference depending on what your variable costs are. Mm. 
Are you looking at your personal costs in that too? Like what kind of lifestyle you want to live? I, that's something I've always thought about over the years is owning a business, you know, like how does that right. how does that factor into the equation? Like what did that look like for you early on compared and to That today? goes back to that fundraising piece, right? Like I feel like people see the entrepreneurs who have the fundraising who are leaving these big fancy businesses mm. and big fancy lives because they're paying themselves well out of some of that money yeah. that they have used in funding their business, Ooh, right? Yeah. Versus I told somebody years ago how much money my husband and I were essentially living off of a month. And they were like, how? And I was like, well, you figure it out. You got bills to pay. You need to keep moving. Um, You figure it out, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs aren't paying themselves as much as people presume they are. But I also have this life rule that no one wants to do business with a busted entrepreneur. (laughs) That's great. So we all show up looking fabulous and buttoned up and put together no matter what's going on Uh, in life. So true. No matter how little we're paying ourselves. (laughs) We're like, I'm here. How little sleep. (laughs) Right? Because that's what everybody expects of us. Um, So it's, it's interesting. I am getting to a better point now. It also comes from my COO scolding me around like, no, like you actually need to Pay yourself. Well, that's awesome that you have someone else kind of being that voice. It can yes, be so hard to do that for yourself. Yes, it is. And it's one of those things, too. I think women sometimes have a harder time paying themselves. Um, it's also something where if something is going on with the company, like when the pandemic started, who's the first person whose pay goes yeah. away to make sure everything's OK? Exactly. Me. And that's fine. I always say that's the biggest difference between a not-for-profit and a for-profit mm. You know, not for profit. People aren't going to stop paying themselves. Right. Because that's not how the business model is set up to operate. Yeah, it's just it's definitely the easiest way to cut costs. Just mm-hmm. go ahead and slash your salary in half and you're good to go. Right. Right. Not the healthiest attitude, yeah. but it's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Indeed. <laughs> so when you look at your own personal development as mm-hmm. a leader, as a visionary, I know that's a, a word we used before. Where Where are you? Well, what would you say is your biggest shift from when you started the business to now? I mean, so one of our core values is being a student of your craft. And the biggest shift is what I've learned over time. I think it's being constantly willing to learn Mm -hmm. and being willing to learn the same lesson over and over (laughs) and over and over over again. I always um, relate it back to the idea of Thanksgiving, right? In kindergarten, everybody was doing the Thanksgiving pageant, no matter how culturally inappropriate it may seem to us now, but that's because we've had years of learning and each year in school, we learn something different mm. about Thanksgiving than when we did when we were doing that kindergarten pageant yeah. in school. So all those times that you learned that same lesson over and over and over again have now shaped your view of what you think mm. about that Thanksgiving pageant. Great point. Yeah, It's the same thing. You just have to learn the same lessons over and over again. Like the idea of um, even in your personal life, like grocery shopping or savings or learning how to cook a recipe. Mm-hmm. It's all the same thing. So, you know, I moved here. I did the Minority Business Accelerator through the Greenville Chamber. I've done 10,000 small businesses with Goldman Sachs, which was amazing. Um, I've done a program through Dartmouth, through their executive education program. Like, it's like, how do you keep pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone in order to move forward? Because whoever told you they learned finances on the first try is lying. You can't trust those people. No, you can't. (laughs) Can't. Those are, no, no, I'm not going to say those are your serial killers. But no, 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 that's yeah. not true. That's not true, but could be. But, you know, if you're not willing to learn the hard lessons and learn them over and over again, you're not really willing to push yourself as far as being an entrepreneur because your growth, your team, I say my greatest joy and greatest stress are making sure that 
you know, the almost 100 people that I'm accountable for paying and helping sustain households to every month are okay. If I'm not willing to keep pushing myself, how do I keep sustaining them? And how do we help even more people? Right. Yeah. And to your point, you know, you only really grow when when you experience extreme discomfort. Yeah. At least at least in in my experience. Yeah. Sitting in discomfort is one of those hard lessons we do not like to talk about. Yes. But we all need to do it. Uncertainty and discomfort. We've all had plenty of that in the past few years, especially. We've had plenty of it. But think about it. How many people are truly okay sitting in it? Yeah. And I hope every single person listening to this has a (laughs) therapist. (laughs) Yes. We'll always, always advocate for that. Therapy is wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. We all need it. Yes. Well, I think we could talk about that forever, but let's take a quick (laughs) break here. This podcast is brought to you by Designly, South Carolina's top-rated app development company, and Word of Web, your partner in smarter website strategy and design. Welcome back to The Founder Factor. We're chatting with Kinsey Biggins, who is the CEO at Worksby. All right. Well, welcome back from the break. Thank you. Let's uh, stick on this train of, you know, like personal wellness as as a founder. So when the going gets tough, mm-hmm. which I'm sure it does mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. what do you go to? Like, what is your place of strength, whether that's, you know, internal or external? There's there's a long list of things. I mean, one, my mom is one of my best friends, um, which my husband finds hysterical. <laughs> but she's definitely one of my besties. I call her a lot and have conversations somewhere Post-college, we were able to switch and have like these very serious business conversations along with like life and friend conversations. So that's wonderful to have in my life um, because she has always been a high-powered businesswoman my whole life. So watching her balance it, but also very openly hearing her say like, it's not perfect. Like it's never going to be perfect and that's okay. Uh, And we move forward and we're remembering you have a seat at the table for a reason. So how are you using it and how are you moving forward? And we also have household rules, which the household rule is you're always allowed to walk up to my significant other and say, hey, hey, I need to tell you something. I don't want your advice. I don't want your opinions. I don't want your (laughs) feedback. I am simply venting. I will let you know when I'm done venting. Wait, you do this in your own household? Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Because one of of the biggest frustrations as entrepreneurs, like you go and talk to somebody and they're like, I've never run a company, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do and all the things you're doing wrong. And you're like spewing venom at them like like, I didn't seriously (laughs) right I just need to tell you what's going on so we do have that rule which is great um I do try to take moments so like my neighborhood is great we have porch cocktails on Friday where we solve the problems of the world so it's nice to just disconnect with people who aren't in my business life at all but it's also like you know working out and all those things you hear like the whole working out eating healthy thing the thing is I'm not a man. So like those articles you read, they're like, I get up at 5 a.m. and meditate on the side of a mountain. And then there's a smoothie magically waiting and my clothes are pressed. Like that's not real life. Like there's a household to maintain. There's like, I always wonder when I read those, I'm like, do you really do? Right. Right. But I also think what would life be like if I had the brain space to only think about work speak because everything else was just magically done for me. Maybe that's my next company or if someone else wants to create it, I'll be a customer. But (laughs) it's like just being realistic and acknowledging what all has to get done, giving myself lots of grace, because I also find we don't give ourselves grace in a lot of spaces, especially women. Definitely. It's it's way too easy to be self-critical. Oh, yes. Got that nagging voice inside your head. It's like you could be doing better or do more. Yeah. And I think there's definitely that pressure of entrepreneurship, too, that that weighs on you a lot. Yeah. My COO is also a female and she does a 
whole lot better job at building boundaries mm. than I do. So she's also kind of a motivator, like, okay, how do I stop the day? Yeah. How do I take a moment? How am I not sorry about taking vacation? Yeah. Does she help hold you accountable to that? Like, have you found any ideas? For oh, that? yeah. She definitely tries. She's like, why are you responding to this? And even just having, you know, we talked about therapy, but I also think having a business coach yeah. who is not a yes man. Like a lot of people find coaches who are just going to make them feel important. Mm-hmm. But having a coach, I mean, my executive coach before I was going on vacation, I was like, well, I'll check in in the mornings. And she was like, I'm sorry. Is there somebody else who can't do that for you <laughs> if you're going to be out? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I think, you know, part of the challenge is not us internally. It, well, it is us internally and how we view things. But it's also us as customers when we're interacting with anybody else, remembering that they're humans mm-hmm. on the other side of it, too, and thinking about how we interact with them. Because during the course of the pandemic, I feel like the idea of giving each other grace, some it got lost somewhere. Like It was like we were in this bubble of like, oh, let's all be kind to mm-hmm. each other. And then all of a sudden it all went out the window. So how do we as customers think about every interaction we have as far as like that's a human on the other side and they deserve time off or they deserve a moment. Um, it's interesting being a woman growing a business because I run into a lot of men who are like, no, you have to do this for me. And I'm like, do you do that in your own business? Oh, funny, yeah. And they're like, no. I'm like, so why do I right. have to be the one to do that for you? Yeah. So, and how we look at giving grace, because I think it's easy, female guilt, the heck of a drug, but I think it's easy <laughs> to like fall into this trap of, I have to be everybody's everything. Because I feel like that's how lots of women are conditioned. Yeah. Or like that's my life, you know? Right? Like I have to show up for everybody. But cutting those boundaries is tough because then you have these other folks who are sleeping in like, no, you have to be my everything and you should drop everything. And who cares you have an important meeting? Mm -hmm. Just show up for me for 15 minutes and then I'm not even going to be a customer. Like, right. It's finding that balance. And that also, I think... A little hidden anger about that sometimes helps me create. We all need a healthy dose of anger, you know, just sprinkle it on top of that guilt. Healthy anger and guilt. Anger, reminding people you're crazy every now and then. You know, it all balances out. How do you how do you instill these values in your own team at WorksB? Yeah, I mean, so my team does a much better job than I do usually because I do work for how are you maintaining balance? Also, we've put um, EOS in place, entrepreneurial operating Mm -hmm. system. And EOS talks a lot about what is your EOS life. So it's not just about the work that you do. It's also about the things you do in your personal life. Can you explain briefly what that is as a, just for people that don't know? Yeah. So it's an operating system for how you operate your business. Um, It's not, and I like to say this, it is not a management magical leadership tool to give you this team of people who magically know how to run your business and do their jobs every day. It is a system for like, how are you meeting? How are you measuring? And how are you building an operating system that's really ripe for traction and success and growth? Mm-hmm. Yep. Very cool. I've been dabbling in that myself a little <laughs> bit lately. I think it's a great idea. So uh, now going going back to your own personal journey with the business a bit, what, what is the scariest decision you've made so far hmm. with WorkSpeed? Hmm. Hmm. So many. Sc- I mean, moving to Greenville was a pretty like, oh, are we really... Yeah, why did you pick up and move to Greenville? I mean, so I was basically, it was for the Greenville um, Chambers Minority Business Accelerator. Uh, Yeah. And it was a very, like, decision was made December 22nd. We were moving here January 14th, and the accelerator started on, like, the 17th or 18th. What year was that? That was 2017. Okay. I mean, it was a quick. It's a whirlwind. Quick, quick turnaround. So that was pretty scary. I had to remind myself of the life rule that you can always go back home. Yeah. 
And I feel like, you know, I'm constantly in that state of what is the best thing you're going to do for your business, for your team, also for you. You know, there's also a spouse involved now who luckily is very supportive of what I do and willing to be along for the ride as we grow Worksby and touch more people and impact more lives. Um, but scary, I mean, there's entrepreneurs live in like scary is our six flags. Like we, (laughs) (laughs) but most of them are like, Ooh, why? We're like, okay, let's go try it out. Um, so scary is relative. Yeah. It's like a weird version of thrill seeking, you know, kind of adrenaline junkie, but in a very specific (laughs) way. It definitely is. Yeah. Hmm. Got a thing. Yeah. No, scary. No, I can't say it's ever scary. Well, that's great. How are we addressing this? How are we moving forward? Just uncomfortable and different and uncomfortable, different. But I think life would be super boring if I was not yeah. doing this. Um, my mom and I always have the conversation of where would I work if I was not running Worksby? Oh, do you know the answer to that? Hell no. Excuse me. <laughs> Heck no. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I I don't know. I I spend a lot of time thinking about my time in corporate America and where would I be right now if I had not taken the leap into entrepreneurship because I am an outside of the box thinker. Um, I'm dyslexic and usually people are dyslexic are able to figure out problems quickly and come up with a solution because our brain is conditioned that we have to figure out things on the fly. Oh, wow. So we're always thinking 80 miles down the road and everyone's like, how does she get down there? That's a great skill for entrepreneurship. Right. So being in corporate America, I would get frustrated all the time. So just at a basic manager level, I'm like, why haven't they figured this out? Yeah. Why are we still doing this? Right. Like, but I got this a week ago. Right. There's this place in middle management where that's not necessarily appreciated. Like you need people who are more systematically embracing of like, mm. here's the process versus I want to blow the process up and start over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, knowing what you do now, is there anything you would have done differently when starting out? Absolutely not. Um, there's been a lot of money wasted. There's been a lot of time wasted. There's been a lot of like frustration. There's been several tears. Only several. That's good. (laughs) My husband's like, you're like the most non-emotional person ever. Like I only cry if I want to do something that I know is like inappropriate for the situation. Mm. So like, this is an extreme example, but like if I ever wanted to punch somebody, I'm not a violent person, but if I ever did, like that's what would make me cry. Cause I'd be like, <laughs> I can't do that because it's not appropriate. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I want to, but I won't. Right. Even during our wedding planning, the wedding planner's like, do you like it? I'm like, yeah, it's great. He's like, why aren't you crying? What's what's I'm like, what? It's great. What do you, what do you want me oh to do? Gosh. So I'm not the most like emotional mm. person out there. Um, I really have to work to be like, yeah, excitement. It's just, I'm not. So I can make myself sound super evil. I'm not. I'm just like, here are the facts. Here we go. Right. But that was a lot for a few tears. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> I wouldn't change. Yeah, I wouldn't change anything because if I didn't have all these lessons, I wouldn't be where I am now. Now, mind you, I go back to a lot of money, a lot of money that could have been saved if I simply knew some things. Like if we weren't trying to build out a platform before we even knew what we needed or what we were looking for necessarily or what all was possible. Even when you think about how far technology has come and how we could invest now versus how we would have invested back in 2015. So different. No, but in I'm the kidding. same breath, if you don't go through all those things, like how do you learn the oven's hot if you don't touch the oven? <laughs> yeah. That's the perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, 
for the journey it has been, I wouldn't change it. Yep. Well, let's uh, do one more question here. It's a question we like to ask all of our guests. Okay. Now, given that our podcast is called The Founder Factor. Yes, yes. In in your eyes, what is that, that one thing that makes for an impactful entrepreneur? Hmm. So one thing I always say is you really, 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 really times 150 have to like people because at the end of the day, it is about people. It's about a human connection. Like you're not out there doing it alone. You have to have customers. You have to have a team. You have to have people around you. You have to really, really, really like people. And you have to remember that it's not just you alone. Like if you figure out some magic sauce, why would you not share that with your peers? And we as a community have to be willing to come together and share and support each other more. So one of my factors has definitely been the fact that I am willing to share with people. Mm -hmm. So therefore they are willing to share with me, which has helped me progress and grow. But also I do really, 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 really like people because people will test your ability to like them (laughs) when you're running a business. That is definitely (laughs) true. Well, what a great answer. Thank you. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today, Kinsey. Thank yeah, you for having me. The, appreciate your time. Yes. <laughs> well, this has been The Founder Factor. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, feel free to follow along uh, with future content on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you get your content. All right. See you next time. Yeah.